Welcome to A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library podcast, and it's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. And today I'm joined by a local author, Ferndale's own Donald Levin. Hi, Donald. How are you doing? Great. It's so good, good. to see you again. It's your third time on the podcast. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. And I think that's just, uh, well, that's a statement on how long the podcast has been running. This podcast started in January of 2020. Wow. Which, you know, feels like an ominous time. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. we met in person, the first episode we ever did with you. And then uh, again, sometime later, a year and a half later, over Zoom. So we did a lot of episodes of this podcast over Zoom. I believe now for, for years, uh, readers will know that you had had the Martin Proust mystery series. Correct. Which we'll talk a little bit about. But uh, the second appearance I think that you had on this podcast, you were talking to us about Savage City. Yes. Which was... In, let's say in the mystery genre, but it, historical fiction possibly more so. More so, that's right. Give folks at home a little bit of background about your uh, shift from, tell them a little bit about Martin Proust, the mystery series you worked on, and then your shift into historical fiction with uh, Savage City, and then we'll even talk about another book after that. It's always a pleasure to be here and yeah. talk to you, so thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I had written seven novels yeah. in the Martin Proust mystery series, mm-hmm. Uh, they were standalone books, but part of a larger series uh, with the detective Martin Proust and his uh, son Toby, his uh, his his partner in crime, as I yeah. as I think of it. <laughs> um, and they were set in Ferndale and around the metropolitan Detroit area. The last one came out, I think, in 2020. Yeah, and every time I had finished one of those books, I was always thinking about the next one. And I was thinking, you know, what's, what am I going to do next? And when I got to the last one, which was uh, In the House of Night, I found myself not thinking about what's coming next. And I thought, well, maybe I'm at the end of this. Uh, and maybe I need to take a break from it, if not, uh, you know, set it aside forever. Because that book, <clears throat> that book necessarily didn't have a climactic sequence. It wasn't like a closed door for Martin Proust. Correct. But you just uh, felt something. I felt something, and I, I felt that I had left him in a good place. Yeah. Uh, and his son is profoundly multiply handicapped, uh, and I left, uh, Toby was his name, and I left him in a good place. So I was happy to step away from it for a while. Um, one of the things that people kept asking me uh, throughout the series is, when is Martin going to be happy? Uh, <laughs> our I, detectives ever. I, our detectives ever. Well, I left him in a good place, yeah. uh, the, the, the final uh, episode anyway. Yeah. So I thought, well, let's, let's think about doing something else. Because you're not just a mystery guy. You had uh, works of dystopic fiction yes. and poetry. Yes, exactly. So, exactly. So you, had, you had other options. I did. <laughs> I did. And I... Thought I would like to work in a larger ca- canvas yeah. than uh, the mystery. Yeah. Um, I wanted to uh, sort of spread out a little bit. I had reading been reading a lot of James Elroy, mm-hmm. who is the author who wrote uh, the book that the film L.A. Confidential is yeah. based on. And he's got a series of, of books set in L.A. Uh, called the first series is called the L.A. Quartet, where mm-hmm. he's got four novels um, that are set in the 40s, 50s, 60s uh, in L.A. And he, he brings uh, a number of different characters together in that and sort of mixes them up um, and, and has a very, very complex, very complicated series of plots. And he likes, to, he likes to talk about them as all being one 
long work. Um, and he also has, uh, he started a, a second series, the second L.A. Quartet, uh, which he think he has uh, two books out um, right now. So I was reading these books, and I was very struck by them. And they, they came at the right time for me because I was thinking of doing something else. And as I was reading them, I thought, you know, I've never seen anybody do anything like this in Detroit. There are lots of novels in Detroit. There are lots of novels that are, that are uh, series, Todd Esselman's uh, uh, series, for example. Lord, uh, Lord knows Elmer Leonard went there. And a guy named yeah. Elmore Leonard, who I, I seem to have heard of uh, <laughs> once in a while. And um, uh, Stephen Mac Jones, yeah. uh, August oh, Snow. Yeah. So there, there are a lot of books here, but I, I didn't see something that was um, sort of a combination of historical novel, literary novel, crime novel, mystery novel that has a, a large cast. Uh, and I thought, well, I, I want to do that. While, while referencing actual events. Exactly. That's the thing. Exactly. Um, Savage City is uh, based on the Hunger March, the Fort Hunger March, that happened in March of 1932, and it was a a, a march where, uh, in the in the sort of depth of the depression, yeah. um, unemployed Ford workers uh, marched toward uh, the Rouge plant, hoping to present Henry Ford with a list of uh, demands mm-hmm. for food, mm-hmm. uh, for uh, fuel during the winter, for health care, those kinds of things. Human rights. Human rights. Exactly. Exactly. And before they got there, uh, before, before they got there to present him this list, uh, the Dearborn police opened fire on them and killed five of them uh, and um, wounded a number of others. Uh, Which, it's, also, it's also called the Ford Massacre. Yeah. I mean, I know Kent State, but I hadn't actually heard of it until I read your book. Mm-hmm. You. Yeah. It's kind of like a lesser told tale. Y- yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, <clears throat> So I, I wanted to focus the, the, the action on that, and that becomes sort of the center for um, four different characters who are fictional, who come together around uh, that event. And as you pointed out, the, that event itself is, is actual, right. and there are a number of actual people, real people, who uh, walk through the book, uh, Henry Ford, Father Coughlin. Um, those kinds of characters, sure. uh, as well as the, the fictional characters that I uh, created. So um, I, I, was, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, I, I said to myself at one point uh, while I was writing it, man, I really like to do this. And, and I imagine writing it is, is possibly as, as compelling as reading it because if we hadn't mentioned yet, uh, it's structured in that it's a succession of chapters. We'll yes. check in with one character. Yep. One, two, three, four. Yep. Then loop back. Yep. And then it goes on. Yep. Each yeah. chapter is is written from the point of view of one right. character. And uh, the the research that I did, and I did a tremendous amount of research, was enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, it was fun. It was fun to do. Uh, as was the writing. So people seemed to like it. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, what am I going to do next sure. after I after I finish this book? And I was talking with a member of the uh, Lawrence Street Gallery, who is, is a, it's a, a local art gallery. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife is a member. Yeah. And uh, I was talking with one of her colleagues, uh, and he, he said, you know, I have one big criticism of this book. Mm. And I thought, okay, well, lay it on me. Mm. Uh, and he said it ended. Ah. Because he wanted to hear more about the, the book. He wanted to hear more about the people. He wanted to see what was going to happen with this couple that I had mm. uh, uh, matched up. Mm. So I thought, 
well, maybe it's time to um, to really think seriously about doing that Detroit Quartet or sure. the Detroit uh, Trilogy or sure. however, however it uh, turns out. So I started to think about, well, what's going to happen next? Yeah. Who, who else? Who am I going to? Who are the characters? Because it's all about the character. I mean, it's really this. It's the it's the characters who who make the story. Yeah, uh, and that's where the interest lies. That's interesting because my guess was going to be that your first question was going to be, well, what year do I set it in? And maybe that's your yes. second question. Maybe that's your second question. No, that was actually my first question. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so I did. So we have nineteen thirty-two. That's a pivotal moment. Yeah, the depression. And to, I, I guess I'll tee you up. We have the Arsenal of Deceit, which yeah. is the newest book, and we jump to another pivotal year, which is yeah. 1941. 1941, exactly. Uh, it takes place just before Pearl Harbor, mm -hmm. and as you remember, um, Detroit was was called the Arsenal of Democracy mm -hmm. because of all the uh, war work right. that was that was going on. And we weren't at war yet. The right. country hasn't, wasn't at war. This starts out uh, in the early part of the year. So the, the country was supplying uh, armaments mm -hmm. for Britain and for our allies overseas. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually it was um, Franklin Roosevelt who, who first called uh, America the arsenal of democracy. And then it sort of became known as, uh, Detroit became known as then. Mm -hmm. And as I was looking through uh, the um, the research, I discovered that there was a tremendous amount of fascist activity in the city at that time, mm -hmm. um, much more than than I realized certainly. And um, I mean, I'm I'm not a historian, so sure. I, this was all um, this was all filling in my understanding of right. Uh, of what was going on, but there was a huge fascist, um, a, a huge amount of fascist activity at the time. And this there, is something called the fifth column. The fifth, the fifth column, yeah. yeah. Um, which is fifth column is is a, a reference to um, uh, enemy activity that happens within uh, a country, for sure. example. Uh, there was a lot of. Uh, pro-Nazi, pro-German uh, activity in Detroit. Wow. Uh, there was a lot of Christian nationalist activity in Detroit uh -huh. uh, where you had very militant Christians who were uh, wanted to uh, upset the status quo, wanted to get rid of Franklin Roosevelt, uh, wanted to get rid of the Jews, wanted to get rid of blacks, mm -hmm. uh, really wanted to much as is happening today, uh, remake the society in their image. Sure. So I was very struck in my research by the, uh, the, the similarities between what's happening in 1941 yeah. and what's happening today. Yeah. So that became the sort of uh, glue that held uh, the book together. And again, it's, it's based on actual facts. It starts just before the uh, 1941 Wildcat walkout yeah. uh, at Ford, yeah. which is the, 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 the spark that sort of got Henry Ford to um, recognize the union mm -hmm. uh, because he was the only one who hadn't by right. that time. And there's all of the groups that are uh, um, mentioned in the book, uh, the people who are associated with these groups, mm -hmm. the crimes that happened, uh, are all actual groups, people, crime, mm -hmm. 
um, with with one exception, which I, I I will talk about in a second. Oh, sure. But uh, it's very much based on actuality. Uh, I got I, I read the newspapers of the day uh, and found out what's going on. What are the what are the top stories? You know who's who's doing what. There was also at the time um, a lot of um, uh, political corruption happening in the city of Detroit. There was a huge scandal uh, because. Um, it turned out that uh, people in the highly placed people in the Wayne County uh, Prosecutor's Office um, were looking the other way, mm -hmm. uh, in from for as a result of payoffs. Mm -hmm. So they weren't they weren't um, busting houses of prostitution. They weren't busting uh, um, uh, illegal handbooks. They weren't. There was a lot of stuff that they were just not, you know, not. Uh, uh, doing anything about sure because they were being paid off right so there was a at the time in, in 1941 there was a there was a huge trial that was underway uh, I think uh, something like uh, 40 uh, police and prosecutors uh, were uh, on trial very highly placed people in the in the Wayne County so that I built that in too it seems like there was a lot going on there uh, in 1941 and there's even a fourth element because I at least know that in 41, we're only two years away from a riot that's spurred out of racial violence. Exactly. And there's some of that brewing in here. Exactly. Uh, and in fact, there were there was the, the big riot in uh, 43. Right. And there was another riot in 1942. Oh, interesting. Uh, which was connected with the Sojourner Truth Housing Project, uh, which is something that the book uh, right. takes up also. Um, and it didn't. The book didn't go far enough to actually get to the riot, sure. but it. I it. One of the characters in the book um, gets involved with all these uh, people and, yeah. and, and infiltrates the uh, the sort of networks. And this is and, Clarence, who's. Well, it's Clarence, and it's also Elizabeth. Right. Um, Clarence finds out that there's a there's a um, there's an attempt to foment racial uh, violence. Right. Uh, and he does what he can to um, address that. And again, learning more about the bigger picture of history, he's an officer in what is a, a segregated unit of the yes, police. Yes, right, right. Yeah. Segregated units uh, assigned to Black Bottom and Paradise right. Valley. Um, and Clarence actually appeared in Savage City, right. too. So uh, Clarence is actually is based on a, on a, on a real person, um, based... The outside of a real person, sure, you know, sure. he's not. He's 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 a maybe not character yeah. uh, internally, but um, so you know, one of the uh, one of the characters is trying to uh, discover what's going on with union violence, mm -hmm. anti-union violence. At That's Ford. Ava. That's Eva. Yeah. Then another character, uh, Elizabeth, is infiltrating all these pro-Nazi groups. Um, then another character, Clarence Brown, is part of that segregated squad that you mentioned, mm -hmm. who is uh, discovers there's a, um, a, a a conspiracy to ignite racial violence. Mm -hmm. And then the the last character is Detective uh, Denny Rankin, who is a, another uh, Detroit policeman, who has been part of the corruption and now is trying to atone for his part of it. So we have we have all these people and all these things, all these balls in the air uh, that are they're happening, mm -hmm. and um, gradually, as in Savage City, these four characters converge toward the end, mm -hmm. um, and um, 
and do what they need to do. Sure. So yeah, uh, they're they're called for heroic tasks. But yeah, they're, they're everyday on the ground people. They're ordinary people. Right. 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 this but a lot of this man you know these this is the seedy underbelly of detroit history i think the savage city was a really good title for the first book yeah thanks given given what you're doing here thanks yeah i mean there's a narrative about uh, detroit during the war right you know that we were the arsenal of democracy right but uh once you get to the the, the sort of private lives of the yeah. people underneath that that master narrative mm-hmm. then you see there's, there's a lot of different stuff going on right and, but we're also aren't we romantically referred to as uh, the paris of the midwest or at right. some point right right and what i like about savage city and then it goes even deeper with the arsenal of deceit is you you might have inklings you might have you know you might be familiar with the purple gang mm-hmm. or you might be familiar with uh, Ruther and the Battle of the Overpass, right, but right. you go so much deeper. Yeah, with all of that. Yeah, uh, there's the seedy yeah. underbelly. Yeah, I, I really get down into the granular uh, right. history of the city. Right, and but it still has. A, tell us about what it, the the writing process for this, or just your experience of it, because it still does have some elements, doesn't it, of kind of that shoe leathery detective energy. Yeah, you are. There is a kind of like an unwrapping, isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's like, right. How does it, how does these, the writing of these two books compare in just your feeling and your approach to the way you might feel or approach out like a straight ahead detective novel like the Proust series? Well, it's a good insight that, mm-hmm. that these are basically sort of unwrapping sort of, yeah. mysteries. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons I got um, tired of writing straight ahead mysteries is that. Uh, as complicated as I was trying to make them with the plots and the yeah. characters and the mysteries and all that stuff, uh, there there's, there was still something relatively uncomplicated about mm-hmm. the, the plot. Of mm-hmm. it. Um, something happens and then somebody has to find out what happens. Right. Um, what I did with this book, with the, with Savage City and with uh, the Arsenal of Deceit, is is take that. Uh, take my own experience as a writer of that kind of story mm-hmm. and apply it to a larger uh, vista, mm-hmm. you know, um, so that each one of these characters has their own story and their own mysteries that they have to mm-hmm. uh, unfold. Um, and as as they do that, they, they come together uh, at, at some points in the novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and the... The question of this book is similar to the question of uh, the Proust books, and that the question is, you know, how do I live decently in an indecent world? Right. Um, and that's, I think, that's the that's the question that really underlies these these two books and the next book, which I'm already starting to think about. Um, so this will be the Detroit trilogy, or if my wits hold out long enough, uh, the Detroit Quartet. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll we'll see about that. But the next one. Next one's in the works. When we think of the hunger strike in the first one and a, a request for basic human rights, mm-hmm. uh, that's also threading through here. I mean, mm-hmm. from 
from page one, I think, where you're, I think you really nicely describe, I think you're describing uh, auto workers themselves as mm-hmm. having injuries mm-hmm. from being on the floor. Yeah. And do we really value those human beings enough? Yeah. As this churn and burn is going on. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and, and Henry Ford himself uh, thought of them like uh, tires. You know, you wear out a tire yeah. and you get another tire. Yeah. Uh, so um, that was the, that's what, that's sort of what we're dealing with. Yeah. And, but there's a humanitarianism threading through everything when we think of either, whether it's fascism or racial violence or anything. That's what we're going for here. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and the, the, the uh, connections to today, I yeah. think, are are uh, sort of blatant. Yeah, you know, and and I think one of the for me one of the lessons in writing the book is that these things might have gone underground uh, because a lot of the fascist activity stopped with Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm. um, but they didn't disappear. Mm-hmm. And and similarly, uh, 1932, the book was about in part the Black Legion, mm-hmm. which was another uh, white supremacist terrorist organization, an actual organization in Detroit, and. We're, we're, we're seeing that in the headlines today. Mm-hmm. You know, we're seeing Christian nationalism. We're seeing um, uh, fascism. Yeah. We're seeing political corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it doesn't disappear. Right. I, I always hear, uh, I, I chuckle when I hear uh, politicians say, this is not who we are right. after something awful happens. And I always think, this is exactly who we are. Right, right, right. You know, let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> Yeah, that that's here in this book. That's, yeah, that's what's so interesting about that. Yeah, yeah. And well, I don't know. Tell us more about what you enjoyed about the research pro- process. You had to really dig for a lot of the stuff, I imagine. I did. Yeah, I did. And I I found some interesting books. Um, Albert Kahn was the the oh, famous architect yeah. uh, who designed it seemed almost everything in in Detroit, <laughs> but a, a lot of things. Yeah. But he had a nephew whose whose name was also Albert Kahn. Okay. Who wrote books about the subversive activity in America hmm. and specifically in Detroit. Mm-hmm. So he was a big, uh, a big uh, help for me yeah. for, for research. Uh, and again, it's that granular sort of what's happening on the day-to-day level sure. that gets um, just papered over sure. when, when, you, uh, when you look at history. I hate to say this, but like this, hmm, the stakes are also higher than a mystery and that's no that's no dig against mystery no I, because I when you have a mystery and i'm just being an armchair analyst here it's like the body's already on the floor we have to figure out who did it right but there's like urgency and a chance for like who we i mean who knows who's gonna make it to the end of the book that's right you know yeah we know we know the well. We, we hope Martin Proust makes it to the end of each book. Yeah, well, well, that's the thing, you know. Uh, but we know Poirot will make it, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really the thing with these with with a literary mystery like that yeah. is that there are certain uh, conventions of the genre sure. that you understand. Yeah. Uh, you understand that the detective is going to survive the book. Yeah. You understand the detective is going to solve the mystery right. at the end. Uh, you understand that certain things are going to happen. You understand. Right. Um, that uh, the detective himself is a certain character sure. type, um, and uh, so there's there's a lot of stuff that's given mm-hmm. in a in a mystery like that, mm-hmm. and that stuff doesn't work necessarily in a in a book like this. Like you don't know who's going to make it to the end of the book, uh, and one of the characters actually didn't make it to the end of the book in an early draft. But I thought mm, I gotta I, I can't I can't do that. I've got to <laughs> I've got to bring this character back. Um, 
So it's a it's a different kind of uh, different kind of expectations that you're dealing with, right. different kinds of genre sort of conventions. Yeah, uh, and uh, I it, that's that's partly what was enjoyable about it is is f you know flexing my my writing muscles a little bit and, and uh, um, growing yeah. uh, in the book. And if you know your history, uh, you 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 might have that in the back of your head as you read it. You might yeah. know, okay, wow, Pearl Harbor is right around the corner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the riots of '43 are right around the corner, yep. and it yep. feels as though you can sense uh, sand going through the hourglass. Like, That's right. Oh, something's coming, yeah. or a fuse is coming. Down. That's right. They, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Better still. Yep. Yeah. Um, what were there any other aspects about going into historical fiction that you really found fulfilling? Um, one of the things I liked about it was that it relieved me of the pressure of having to know what's going on today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, I could turn my turn my attention all to what was happening in 1941. Yeah, uh, and. Things like, you know, what did a lighter look like? What did a cigarette lighter look like sure. in 1941 or 1932? Sure. Uh, what did the streets look like? What did the cars look like? Mm -hmm. What what uh, what were people eating in the mm -hmm. uh, in the diners? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and so that that was a that was a satisfying thing for me too. Yeah. To, because uh, who who can keep up with or I can't anyway keep up with today's uh, all the all the changes today? There's one small subtle through line from this to uh, Martin Proust that I uh, appreciate that you continue is that there's a there's a specificity of place. Mm -hmm. um, you're often going to tell us exactly where we are, cross yeah. streets and everything. Yep. Yep. And yep. and maybe the buildings that the characters are inhabiting at that cross street aren't even there anymore. But that's you're right. putting us there on the page. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And uh, people have read these books and say, you know, Detroit is another character. Yes. In, in, in both Savage City and in Arsenal of Deceit. Right. And, um, and a reader coming to this, and this must be the case uh, to um, a similar extent with the L.A. Quartet, is that the stories, especially in in Symphony as a, as a foursome, you know, character, 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 checking in on each story as we go and yeah. seeing the big picture. Yeah. It feels like that urgency is there. It feels like it has huge, possibly uh, real world, worldwide consequences. Like the stakes are very high and yet it's all contained in this microcosm of Detroit. Yeah. And granted, Detroit, big square mileage, but this is just one city's story. Yeah. I almost found myself thinking, what was going on in Cleveland in 1941? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, so one of the things I'm, I think I'm proudest about in, yeah. in both the new book and Savage City mm -hmm. is, is the historical specificity yeah. and the historical accuracy, um, which is not to say that everything is absolutely perfect, but uh, as, as much as I could get it, uh, it is. Do you have any... Um, words of advice or maybe specifically encouragement to uh, any writer out there who maybe they were already uh, toe deep or knee deep into their own uh, work in progress that is in the historical fiction and they're already uh, exhausted by the research or maybe someone wants to try historical fiction but they're daunted by <laughs> all the research that it would take. Yeah. What got you through it? You just found it fun. It sounds. It, it like was that. fun. It was fun. Yeah, um, 
because I like this has been a characteristic of of me and my writing life. I yeah. like learning things and then writing about it. Yeah, uh, that that was the th talk about the through line. That was the through line in mm -hmm. my in my writing career and my career as a as an instructor. Mm -hmm. You know, as a as a an English professor. Yeah, um, I like to I like to teach people. I like to write about things that I that I learn about. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I guess my advice would be to, you know, make the research enjoyable for yourself. Uh, if if it's not enjoyable for you, it's not going to be enjoyable for, for a reader. Sure. And, you, and you won't finish the book. I mean, yeah. you won't finish the, uh, um, the, the, the story yeah. that comes out of your research. It's kind of a journalistic approach. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, or a journalist, rather, you know, just yeah. taking all these facts. And arranging them in a, into the narrative. Yeah, right. Yeah, right, right. And the narrative is imaginative. It's not, you know, it's made up. Mm -hmm. All the uh, all the, the good stuff is is there, is mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. But it's how you manipulate them and how you um, uh, how you weave them together. Was it overwhelming to contain? Uh, this is the second time you've done it, so maybe you you've you've got the knack for it now. But like, I think containing even just one character's arc can be tricky. I yeah. almost wondered if you had like a, a corkboard somewhere or a blueprint where you're just keeping them all in track. <laughs> uh, I, I had notes where I would do sure, that. Sure. Um, I've tried I've tried blueprints and I've tried outlines. Yeah. I've tried outlining books and they just don't work for me. Yeah. So And uh, that's important. They don't always work for everybody. No, that, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so uh, I, I, I worked, I always, I always have a sort of sense, a general sense of what the narrative arc is going to be, mm -hmm. but this book surprised me because yeah. I had I thought it was going to go one way and it and it didn't mm -hmm. go that way, so I thought if it's surprising to me, then it's going to surprise Absolutely. a reader. Yeah. And yeah. so, did you say you're already cooking up ideas for another one? I am. Uh, the next one's going to take place in the fifties. Okay. Um, I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen okay. or who's it going to happen to okay. but um, I'm starting to put the pieces together and I'm starting to uh, uh, to see what was going on at the time that that uh, that I can use yeah that, I think that, like nine or ten ish year jumps are always yeah good yeah. yeah yeah and I don't know if the same people will be in it or not but uh, there there may be different people um, <laughs> do you think you can make it four or you just 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 seeing where it goes if, just see where it goes. Uh, if my energy holds out and my and my yeah. wits hold out uh which is uh, sometimes not a not a given yeah um then i'd like to do four i'd like to bring it up to the 60s excellent um so we'll see and this book came out i think in the summer somewhere june i think it did yep i'm sure it's available at bookbeat it's Our available at bookbeat Book yes it is uh and the proust books are available at bookbeat also in oak park uh in oak park one of our one of our great local bookstores absolutely yeah. yeah absolutely you have anything else you're looking forward to in the months ahead uh i've actually got a poetry book that's coming out um in the beginning of next year nice uh west vine press is a is a press that's associated with a um, a bookstore in muskegon and uh the editor there asked me if i would be interested in having a book of poems because he knew that i i write poems or I, I used to write poems anyway. So I said, sure. Uh, so this is going to be a, a collection of poetry. It's called Are You Listening? Okay. Uh, selected poetry. Selected, okay. Uh, and it's going to come out uh, beginning of February. Okay, great. So that's that's what's next. That's great. And do you think you'd ever catch that poetry bug again in the near future? It's kind of 
Hard to say. Yeah. I mean, it's its own thing. It's its own craft. It is, really. And you have to really get into that mode. It really is. Yeah. And when I was writing uh, one of the Proust books, I thought I would warm up each day by writing a poem. Sure. And I quickly discovered that that's not going to (laughs) work. You can't take it lightly. No, you you can't. can't. You can't. Yeah. Um, So that's, I I may. And that's coming February, you said? Coming February. All right. Yeah. Well, Donald Levin, thank you so much for joining us again. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Arsenal of Deceit is the name of the book, and we'll have more information in the show notes, especially about the most recent book, Savage City, and then also this one, which is the continuation of the historical fiction. And we're enjoying it, Donald, so please continue. Thank you. We're looking forward to what happens next in the 50s. You have listened to another episode of A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library podcast, and it's brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. Uh, My name is Jeff Milo. I can't even remember if I introduced myself at the beginning of the show, but you should know that if you're a regular listener. And uh, if you want to find out more information about how you can support this podcast, go to ferndalefriends.org. Of course, we thank John Duffy for giving us music to open and close each episode. And remember, please rate, review, subscribe, and leave a positive review. It would help us find more listeners. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening.